0: To see you guys. Um, question I get asked a lot is: Is this beard a clip-on? It's not. This is real. You can tug on it later if you'd like. It's absolutely real. Um, I had a lady yesterday. Um, this happens a lot to me. People who have never met me, especially when I come to England, people like to touch my beard, and um, it's it's odd. It's like the, it's the one time in my life that I'm going to be able to identify with a pregnant woman um, because that that happens. Does that happen in, in England. If you're pregnant, people feel like they can just Touch you. That's how I feel. People feel like they can just get their hands up in there and, um, feel free after church. Um, it won't be the first time or the last. So, as Howard mentioned, um, my name's Donnie and, um, I lead a church, uh, called One Harbor in North Carolina, actually in my hometown. It's a town of about 9,000 folks and we've got some sites and some other smaller towns. And anyway, um, we've got a lot of love and respect for Howard and Naomi and, um, I just want to be honest, though, right out the gates, and and just let's just acknowledge that Howard can be a little intense, right? Um, First time I met Howard, um, I was at a conference speaking, and Howard followed me into the bathroom, and proceeded to walk and stand right next to me, and just carry on a conversation with me while I was using the bathroom, and um, so it was freaky and weird, and um, he stalked me then for the rest of the week. And that's how the relationship began. So, um, we can all share our Howard stories later. Um, but, um, I want to talk a little bit to you just for a few minutes this morning about mission. Um, maybe you understand what that concept is. Maybe you don't. Essentially what we're talking about is, is what is the purpose of our life here on planet earth? Why are we here? Why are you living in the city? What is God on about? What does he want to do? Um, and so, um, that's what we want to talk about. And I'm just convinced that, because my own life I grew up being a Christian. I grew up going to church. Maybe that's not your story, that's my story. Um and I grew up going to church and basically just had no idea what I was supposed to do. Just go to church, then try to be good, then go to church and try to be good and um I'm convinced that a lot of us, you know, maybe who've been Christians a long time, maybe we've missed something pretty important about why we're here. And um you know, you could have you could have like scored perfect attendance, you know, for 10 years on every Sunday you've been to church and done every Bible study on the market 100 times and You find yourself kind of going, now what? You know, like, now what am I supposed to do, right? Um, A lot of Christians just feel really bored and and just unsure, you know, and kind of like they're, you know, when they they pray, it's, it's sort of prayers like, Jesus, hurry up and come back, you know, like. Let's, you know, let's just go ahead and get this over with, you know, like I'm bored to tears. I can't do another Bible study. I, can't, I mean, what else am I supposed to do? And so I think um, part of what we got to do is, is work to redefine what a Christian looks like, what a, a disciple of Jesus looks like. What does that what does that really look like? Um, you know, back when um, when if you read the Bible, if you've ever tried that, go read like Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And what you see is that Jesus, I mean, everybody who followed Jesus, everybody who was a disciple of Jesus, like, Jesus gave them a, a job to do. He gave them a role to play. And um, it was like everybody had something. Everyone was doing something. And and now it feels like if you are a Christian who is doing something like that, you're kind of like like an SOS Christian. You're like a special forces type Christian. You're like really Christian, you know. And, and we deal with that in, um, where I live where it feels like um, – Hey, I'll go to church, but don't expect me to like, you know, tell my friends about Jesus or don't, don't, I mean, that's not, I just want to go to church. I just want to be a regular Christian, right? And, And when you read the Bible, that just isn't what a regular Christian was. Um, as soon as people came to Jesus and got their lives changed by Jesus, Jesus used them for this mission. He used them to change other people's lives. Uh, in Mark 5, a guy, um, has a thousand demons living inside of him, right? You thought your life was bad. This guy's life was rough, man. A thousand demons living inside of him, uh, which, which meant that like he, he lived a, a really weird way. He lived up on a mountain. He, he, he didn't have any clothes on, and he would take rocks, and he would cut himself um, in just anguish and pain. He would scream out all night long and all day long. He lived around these tombs. It was horrific, and Jesus comes. Long story short, sets this guy free. He ends up with clothes on. He ends up in his right mind. And and in our day, we would say, you know, like, man, okay, cool. Let's get this guy like twenty years of counseling. You know, let's let's really kind of. Then we'll send him to you know twenty five years of Bible college, and then maybe if he's not dead, we'll we'll let him do something. We'll let him lead a small group. You know, And, um, and Jesus, the day that this guy gets set free, Jesus turns around and says, hey. You go and you tell your friends and you tell your family what I've done for you, how I've had mercy on you. And he goes and does it. And it's amazing. People get their lives changed. Jesus meets a woman at, at, at a well, and um and and within like within minutes, she goes and, and she tells her whole town what Jesus has done. And this is a lady with a, I mean a pretty messed up past. She's had five husbands, which even in our day is kind of it's kind of up there, you know. Um, it's not ten, but it's still it's more than one, and so it's it's right there, it's a lot. She's had five husbands and now the the guy she's with isn't her husband and Jesus exposes all this begins to talk to her about what's really going on inside of her what she's really what she's really thirsty for and she she gets so changed by this. She runs and tells her whole town, "You got to come meet this guy. I, I found him. I found the savior of the world." Right? It's incredible. That happens, and um, on and on and on. We see this this happening. A, a, a leper gets healed. Um, someone who's like you know, skin and body parts were falling off. Um, no, they would get pushed out of the city because no one was allowed to touch them, and they didn't want everyone else getting sick. It makes sense. And Jesus, uh, this guy runs up to Jesus and says, "You know, Jesus, please, can you heal me?" And Jesus doesn't kind of do what we would typically do if, you know, would be like, hey, back up, man. I don't want to get what you got. You know, like that. Somebody coughs on you and, whoa, hey, just stand back. Um, this guy's got leprosy And, and, and Jesus doesn't ask him to stand back. Jesus doesn't say, how, I'll, I'll heal you, but just don't, don't, don't get, I don't want to get, I don't want to catch what you've got. Um, Jesus does the unthinkable. He reaches out. He puts his hand on this guy, which, would have instantly in in that day made Jesus unclean. Jesus becomes unclean to, and says to this guy, I will be clean. Like, so Jesus takes on his, 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 his disease and, and, and makes him clean. It's this cool thing that Jesus is, he's setting up a story of how he's going to do that in an ultimate way, right? How he's going he's to be, he, him who is clean He's going to touch us, and he's going to make us clean. He's going to set us free. So he's, he's, all this stuff's happening, and this guy goes, Jesus says, don't tell anybody, and the leper goes and tells everybody. He, he just, he just keeps talking and talking. I mean, it's the one time Jesus tells somebody not to do something, like don't tell anybody, and he goes and tells everybody. Now, I don't know why Jesus told him not to. All I know is it's pretty awesome that he still did it right um and so this is happening all the time with jesus and um it's what we when we look at like jesus and and the people who followed him we just see a lot of mission going on a lot of people you know just really getting in there and and we're tempted to think well that's because you know back then the world was really dark and it really needed the gospel and no one and exactly that's exactly why and i don't i just don't think that's much different than the world we're living in honestly you know um We've created in our day a bit of a weird version of Christianity that I think would make it somewhat unrecognizable to Jesus and His first disciples. So, um, just 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 think about you know something as basic as most people who are um, who are trying to be Christians they know they're supposed to be good. It's like the first thing you find out, like, I'm supposed to be good. So as soon as you become a Christian, somebody sits you down with like a very long list and says, these are all the things you can no longer do, right? Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. That kind of thing, you know, it sets in on us and, and it's, it's basically morality. It's, it's here's, here, be a better person, um, be a more moral person. So, you know, don't do this and don't do that, right? And and and, and we never, we fail oftentimes to explain to people why, why we don't do those things. So why not get drunk? Why not sleep around? Why not do these things? Right? Um, essentially what we do is we take, we take mission out of morality. We take the purpose behind us. We are supposed to live differently, but why? We take that out. And all that we're left with people is just, just do better, try harder, be better, be nicer, which when there's no mission attached to that, you know what happens? We end up, we end up letting this like, we're, we're better than, we're better than lead to like self-righteousness. In our own hearts, and we end up, we end up, we end up, you know, we're doing things Christians should do. We're doing the right things for all the wrong reasons. We end up feeling this like moral superiority over everyone around us. Someone's cussing, and we're just like, ooh, you know, like someone's drinking, ooh, you know, like we, someone's smoking, ooh, like we, we're always feeling like we're superior. And, and it's, it's what's led to, if you look over our shoulder, it's what's led to decades and decades of Christians building these bubbles and these subcultures where they can just be all good together. It's just, it's just we've just missed the whole point. I mean, First Peter 2.12 says we're supposed to keep our conduct, our way of life among the Gentiles, those who aren't Christians, honorable. Why? So that when they speak evil against you, they speak against you as evildoers, like, you guys are crazy, you guys, you know, they try to, they try to discredit you. They're going to see your good deeds and they're going to glorify God. Like, that's the point. That's why, I do, that's why I live differently, right? Um, so it's the reason behind why we do those things. I think a, a, a really good evidence for um, why I think all of us as Christians is why we're all here and why we're all supposed to be on mission. I think the best proof is the fact that we're breathing. I think that's like the best evidence for like the, the, the fact that we should be on mission. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Why are you still alive? Like, seriously, why? Um, I think Christians think we're alive so we can, um, do really good, like, Bible studies and, and have really good worship services and do a lot of really good praying and, and that's, and have great quiet times. That's why we're alive, right? I think we think, think things like that. But the reality is, if that's the only reason for us, you know, that's the only reason we're alive, we should actually, it would be easier to do all those things if we were dead, right? Because we'd be in heaven. And a friend of mine says, pardon me, because I know this is more of an American sort of phrase, so just, just, we're not, we don't mean this seriously, all right? Um, but a friend of mine says, you know, man, if, if, all, if all that we're supposed to do is just, you know, pray and worship and, and, like, study the Bible, well, when someone gets saved, we should just take them behind the church and shoot them, right? Because it's going to be a lot easier to do all of these things in heaven. In fact, you don't even have to read the Bible. You can just go interview all your favorite Bible characters, right? You could have a really good quiet time, you know, right there in heaven. And so um, th- this, this, this reality that we're still breathing should mess with us a little bit. Why are we still here? Funny, that doesn't make any sense. Why don't we just pray some sinner's prayer and then get raptured? Why doesn't that happen? Why why are we still here, right? We're still here because there's mission to do, right? Now, worship is good. I'm glad we do it. It's good, and one day it's all that we'll do, but right now there's other stuff that we do, right? A guy named John Piper says it like this. He says, mission exists because worship doesn't. Mission exists because worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not mission, because God's ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed, people who have been saved, fall on their faces before God, missions will be no more. Absolutely right. But we're not there yet, right? We're still here. We're still breathing. Why are we here? Because mission, right? Um, we have no business sort of doing the, standing at that like proverbial bus stop, waiting for the chariot to, you know, come down. I mean, there's just been decades where that's what Christians, where they've just, you know, their prayer life consisted of, God, get me out of this hell hole, right? Just Jesus, come back. When are you coming back? And so you spend countless years looking at charts and trying to, you know, map it out. He's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. Like, it's just, we're obsessed with when's he coming back because we don't know why we're still here. We're not dead yet. You're not dead yet. Don't act dead. Don't expect the church to be here to just keep you entertained. And, you know, it's like I find as people get a little older in our church, they, it's like they, it's like they're, they're, they start to like just begin to like hope that the church will do what the church is meant to do, which is plan their funeral, you know, and, and get a little nice dinner ready after they're dead so we can all think about them. Like that's not why we exist. We don't exist to keep Christian peoples entertained and to plan funerals. That's, that's not our job. That's not why we're here. I mean, listen to Psalm 107, um, verse 2. Let the redeemed, those who have been saved, of the Lord say so. Not pray to get out of this hellhole called planet Earth. Let them, let them say so, right? That's why we have breath. Um, God, um, God put you in the city that you're in because he wants to use you to reach this city. Yes. I know this is so simple, but it's just like, just like let it kind of sink in a little bit, you know? Um, Acts 17, verse 26 um, Tells us that God made from one man every, every man, every nation of mankind, right? And it tells us that He predetermined, um, allotted periods and boundaries of our dwelling place, right? Which means that God knew exactly where you were going to live, exactly when you were going to live there, exactly who was going to live next door to you. He knew where you're going to go to school. He knew where you're going to go to work. He knew whose locker at school was going to be next to yours and whose desk was going to be next to yours. And he knew whose cubicle was going to be next to you and who was going to be your manager at work. He knew all that stuff. He knew all of it. He knew that this neighbor's dog was going to constantly come into your yard and use the bathroom instead of their own yard. He knew all that. He knew all these things. And so um, when we don't recognize this, we find ourselves praying for our neighbors or our coworkers to move or die or get struck by lightning in some glorious fashion. We we pray for things like that instead of going, hey, well, God, you put me here, you put them here. You knew that was going to happen. You decided to do that. And, and man, I'm having a hard time getting this. And you, we should be praying for our own hearts instead, right? Not for our neighbors to get struck by lightning, but for our hearts to, to understand, why are these people here? Why are they all around me? We're surrounded by people who, the Bible tells us, will go to hell unless a miracle happens. Why on earth do you think you're around them? Like, Why do you think they're around you? God's doing, God's, God's wanting to do things in your city. He's wanting to do things here in Cheltenham. Am I saying that right? I'm trying hard to get these things right. I actually learned some um, Cockney slang. You guys want? I've been, I've been really practicing that. I can't find a way to work into the sermon, but I've been, been saying to my wife a lot for the last couple of days that I'm cream crackered. Is that right? <laughs> I'm going to try to bring that one back in America. I'm not sure how to go, but if you guys start hearing about it on the news, you'll know who started it. Um, God's doing stuff here in your city. It's why you're here. It's why you're here. He's not forgotten about you. You're not here to waste oxygen. When we forget all this, we um, we just can't. We just end up standing at a bus stop waiting, or we find ourselves in these little cul de sacs, these little Christian cul de sacs, where we just go around and around and around in circles. Um, you know, this happens right away in, in Acts chapter 1. Um, the, the, the disciples of Jesus, Jesus says, Here's one of you do. go into the all of the world and, and, and start in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth and go for it, right? And then Jesus launches like a spaceship into the sky. And, and right away, the disciples go and they do it. And, and it's like we skip right from Acts 1 to Acts 28. It's done. It's actually not what happens. They don't do it. Um, and they just stand there and they stare in the sky. And this angel comes along and says something like, <clears throat> you know, and um, and just says basically, why are you guys staring into heaven? What's wrong with you? And, I mean, I, th- I mean, just to be honest, I think to myself, it's pretty obvious. Jesus just launched into the sky, <laughs> like <clears throat> there he went. You know, I mean, who wouldn't want to just stare at that? And, um, and and it's like God doesn't even like want to give them the time to do that. He says, hey, he's coming back. The angel says, he's coming back. Don't worry. Go do what he said. Go do what he said. And we find just from the very beginning, like Christians would rather just stand and stare. They'd rather like get in a little cul-de-sac. They'd rather, you know, they'd rather like, you know, just act like we act like little kids, you know, on a long journey. Like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Versus just, man, like what are we here to do, right? Okay. You've been filled with the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead not so you can just have great Sunday services, get some goosebumps or whatever. Okay, so I think most people probably are tracking so far. You probably even came in knowing this. Yes, I know. Yes, I'm convinced. How do we do it? Let me try to give you a couple points and then we'll be done. Um, I think really the, the concept you've got to get your head around is that you have to become really great missionaries. Okay, You have to become good missionaries. Um, when, when Jesus tells that, that, um, that guy in Mark 5 to go, like, go to your people... Like, he, he's saying the same thing he says in Matthew 28, which is, like, go into all the world. There's a sense in which Jesus, because he has all authority, he gets to just tell us to go. And, like, we, we go. And that's that, whole, that's that whole concept of being on mission, being missionaries, right? Um, now, for most of us who've been Christians a long time, um, if, if, say, you know, say someone prayed or you had a dream or you felt this really strong sense that I'm supposed to go be a missionary in Mongolia, I think you would you begin to change your life, right? Right. Um, there was a period of time where I thought I was going to go live in Mongolia. And so I started like, you know, trying to, I slept on the floor for like a year and a half. I slept on the floor every night because I was just preparing myself for not getting to bed. You know, and I, I, would, I would do these things trying to like get myself ready. And then there was a time where I thought I was going to move to South Africa and like work with Zulu people. And so I, being being me, right, not Zulu, um, from North Carolina, barely speak English. I began to learn Zulu because, man, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And so I started learning Zulu and, um, and, and, and begin to really prepare myself. And I think all of us would do that. Like, if, if it was like you're going to China, we'd be like, okay, I got to learn Chinese. I got to figure this out. But, but I, I don't think we treat you've got to go as a missionary to your town the same way. And it's just bizarre to me because it's the same Jesus telling us to go. And it doesn't actually matter where we go because everywhere you would go, people need Jesus. So I don't know why we treat it so differently. Let me explain it to you like this. Um, what if you found out that a church, like a church that you guys were supporting, like, you know, um, guys like Ben and Lois in Wales, who I've just been with for a few days. I'm going back there tonight. What if you found out, what if I told you, hey guys, I just reported back. I know you've supported them financially. I know it's a church you really care about. And I know these guys, you really, you really like them. But here's the deal I've been there now for two days. You know what they do all day? They just play video games. All day long, Ben just sitting there, video games, video (laughs) games, right? And then he's like, "Oh my gosh, it's Sunday. We got to do a service. We got to do a sermon." So he he quickly he he prints off some notes from somebody else's sermon online. Gets up and reads those, and he goes back and plays more video games. You'd be like, "Hang on a second. We're giving that guy our money. Hang on a second. Like, we need to shut this down, Howard. There's got to be, you got to know some other church that's better. Somebody that's that's better. We got. There's got to be someone else." You know that we can really get behind. Because that's, that's not what we're giving money for, right? He's got to sit there and play video games and he shows up at a church service. Come on, man. That's not what we gave you money to do. That's not what we, we prayed for you for, right? Because here he is a missionary. He's gone to go do something. And so we have expectations on him, right? And we'll pull the plug on him if he, if he doesn't live up to those expectations. And I think in the same way, Jesus sends us And we just, a lot of us don't have a problem with us playing video games all day and then showing up to church, but we'd have a real problem with a a, a missionary that we supported doing that. I think that's a double standard, right? Jesus says in John 20, he says, as the father sent me, so I send you. There you go. You're all missionaries. See, right there, happen. I I knight you missionaries, right? Um, A lot of us, we just don't realize that we're missionaries, and so that's got to sink in you know, and it's going to feel different because, you know, maybe you've never tried that before. You've been a Christian a long time, but all you were doing was thinking about how can I be really good so I get a bigger mansion than Howard in heaven. And now you realize you actually have a role to play. There's a reason you're still alive, and it's not that reason. And um, you think about how do you do that. So let me give you a couple of tips that's been helpful for me. I think the first thing I would tell you to do is to you've got to love people who aren't Christians. Really love them. Um, people don't like being treated like projects. You notice that? People can feel. Like they can they can feel. It's like when a telemarketer calls your house, you know they don't really care about you. They might ask questions like that sound like they care, but they don't care. There's, there's an agenda here. They're getting to something. They're trying to they're trying to close this deal, right? They're gonna sell you something. People don't like being treated like that. And um and, and so we, we really need to love people, right? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, it was the love of Christ that controlled him, that compelled him, right? Um and so in Matthew 11, um, something really controversial happens. Jesus says people call him the friend of drunks and tax collectors and sinners. And, um, and you know, here's Jesus. He's, he's saying he's the son of God. And people are calling him the friend of drunks and sinners, right? And, and, and this would have been a great moment for Jesus to say, and just so you guys know, I'm not. I'm not their friend. I'm not. I want to clarify that because I am the son of God. I don't want any of you guys thinking I'm friends with a bunch of drunks. I'm just not. Now, I, I'll do occasional outreaches to the bars, but I never drink. Maybe, maybe half, half a pint, but not a whole pint because I'm the son of God, right? Um, that's what we expect. And, um, and Jesus doesn't combat this at all. He says, hey, you've heard I'm the friend of drunks and sinners. Moving on. And it's like, it's just this like, what did he just say? He's basically verifying and that word friend, if you look at what it means, it doesn't mean like Facebook friend, like associate, you know, like, ah, oh, I like you, I'm your friend, but who are you, I don't know, we just, whatever. Um, this really meant friend, and, and the word literally means someone dearly loved, someone prized in a personal, intimate way, a trusted confidant, someone held dear in a close bond of personal affection. The root always conveys experiential, personal, experience-based love. That's what that word friend means. Jesus said, hey, you guys have heard that I'm the trusted confidant, the prized like possession the prized loved experiential friend of drunks and sinners yeah next point it might surprise you that um you know when it says jesus reclined at the table with many sinners that reclined at the table isn't greek for passed out tracks and then left <laughs> it means he literally reclined at the table he spent time with them when 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 people's kids got sick that didn't believe in Jesus and weren't a part of Christianity when people when tragedy hit they came to Jesus like people trusted in him when their lives fell apart they came to him because they knew he cared about them he loved them i think sometimes we just we just treat people like projects not like people made in God's image just like me and you who need to be loved it need to be shown how good Jesus is. Um, I think for a long time, Christians thought that like, we were supposed to not hang out with sinners. There was a, I mean, I grew up in that yeah. era. You're just not supposed to hang out with them. You can do an outreach, but you're not supposed to be their friend, right? And we'd say things like, don't be unevenly yoked. <laughs> and we'd, say all kinds of, we'd take all kinds of scriptures out of context to basically say, don't hang out with people who don't know Jesus, right? It's not safe. They're going to pull you down, and you're going to have to. It's easier to pull someone down than to pull someone up. And we used all this logic for years that basically just, you know, caused us to all retreat in these little bubbles. And so we've got our little Christian bookstores and our little Christian this and our little Christian that. We'd have a Christian grocery store if we could. We'd have, we just, you know, let's just just do our little Christian thing, right? Mm. Listen to Paul, what he says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people. See right there, there it says it keep reading, not at all, not at all, meaning sexually immoral of this world, the greedy, the swindlers, the idolaters. I'm not telling you not to hang out with them. Why? Because you'd have to leave the world to not hang out with them. Paul said, that's not what I'm telling you not to do. No, 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 no. That's why you're in the world. I'm telling you, Paul says, not to hang out with somebody who does all that and then claims to be a Christian. I think we hang out with plenty of people who do all that and claim to be Christians. It's like we missed the whole point of the verse, right? No, no, no. Paul says, what have I to do with judging outsiders, right? I'm talking about people in the church who carry on living like this, like like the gospel doesn't matter, like, like what Jesus did isn't enough to change their life. No, no, no. We can't hang out with those people. They make the gospel look bad. Um, the, first, so the first thing there is really love lost people. The second thing is um, try to become a good local. Um, I know some of you guys aren't from Cheltenham. You've moved in, jobs, all the stuff, but like, Man, like, really love, like, love, like, what local people love. Get in there. Like, become a a good local. Where do they hang out? Hang out there, right? You can't just always expect people to come to your house. Like, go out to where they are. In fact, in America, um, we pretty much just like to hang out in our homes, you know, and we expect if, like, someone who's not a Christian is going to, you know, talk to us, they need to come to our house and do that. And and, um, there's only one night a year where that could potentially ever happen, where, where anybody would ever come to our house and knock on the door. It's only one night a year. That's Halloween. You know what we do in America? We're too spiritual to answer the door and give someone candy. So we we abandon our homes, and we all go to a church parking lot, and then we get candy, like the same candy. It's not Christian candy. The same candy from less scary, you know, people giving it out at our church parking lot. The one night of the year where it would be all possible that someone in our neighborhood would come to our house. We leave the house. Like... We could not be going out of our way anymore to say we do not want to talk to you. Only come to our house if you want to talk. I'm at your house. We're not here. We're at our church because candy is more sanctified there or something, right? It's the most bizarre thing. Pick a place um, that that you, you know, pick a grocery store, pick a a petrol station, pick a coffee shop or a pub or whatever and go there every time you're going to buy something. Go to the same place. I would encourage you, if it's like a grocery store, go to the same register every time because if you're just popping around everywhere, you're never going to meet anybody. You're never going to build any kind of relationship, right? Um, give good tips. Do you guys, I know, you don't really give a lot of tips in this country. You guys could be those people, right? You could break whatever that is that's holding you back and you could you know, be generous to somebody. Um, hang out with people. Recline at the table. Be their friend. Love them. Um, um, really love your city. Go to your way to let the city know that you care about them. Look for, look for moments where the city could use your help and jump in and help, right? Um, Jeremiah 29, 4-7 uh, talks about this. I'll just briefly sum it up. Um, God tells these people to seek the welfare of the city to where they've, they've been sent. and God wants you to do that, guys. Wants you to seek the welfare of the city that you've been sent to. And he goes on and says, and pray to the Lord on this behalf. When we pray together, pray for your city. When you're praying, pray for your city. Jesus, do something amazing here. Like, pray for your city. I mean, we normally read Jeremiah 29 and we just run right to verse 11. You know, right? I know the plans I have for you. We're just so individualistic. We don't even realize it. We skip right past, like, love your city, pray for your city, seek the welfare of your city, right to, he's got plans for me. Yep, those plans are to love your city and bless your city, right? Those verses don't get read a lot. Where do you even start? First thing I would tell you to do is start with the things that you love. Start with your passions. Have you guys seen Chariots of Fire ever, yeah, brilliant, brilliant. it's the it's the movie I'm convinced is going to play in heaven on repeat. Um, it's just amazing, yeah. so good. And um, there's this there's this one line where um, this guy Eric Little, he um, he's he's this runner, he's his fast runner. And spoiler alert, the movie's about a guy who runs who loves God. It's been out for like 40 years, so if you haven't seen it. I don't feel like I'm really, really messing too much up by telling you how this movie goes. But um, he, um, he, he, his, his family, they're missionaries in China, and his, they just want him to move to China and be a missionary. And his sister finally comes and says, hey, like, this running stuff, this is, there's nothing about God in this. You're just running around in a circle. You need to go and, and come to China and do God's work, right? Sounds so good. And, and Eric, Eric Little says this. He says, um, he says, God has made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. Now, maybe there's a sense in which the wind blowing in his hair you know, made him feel God's pleasure, but I think more of what Eric's getting at is that, man, he had like, these incredible opportunities every single race and with all these other competitors to talk about Jesus. And he was just doing what he loved. God made me fast. What's God made you? What's he made you? Maybe some of you in the room, he's actually made you fast. Maybe you're actually good runners, right? Um, that's not my personal um, thing that God's made me I'm um, not much of a, I don't look like much of a runner, right? Not much of a, that wouldn't be my thing, Olympic running. But maybe for some of you, that is your thing, right? What's God made you? And how can you do that in a way that, feel, that we feel is pleasure? Maybe you could start a running club. You think, that's great, a Christian running club. All Christ! nope, wrong idea again. See, that's the problem. We're always trying to like break off into our own little groups, right? And just jump into a regular old running club, right? Without a big cross. And you don't have to like be called the holy runners of, Jerusalem, you can just, just run with normal people and just be their friend and love them and do what you love and, and use it in a way to, to feel God's pleasure. Um, start with just your surroundings. Again, Acts 17, right? Just look around you. How, where are the lost, Lord? I don't know. All around you, right? Like, like all around you. Like, just, just this week, just at random moments, just stop and just go like this. Oh, yeah. They're all around me. That's right. That's where they are. Where are they, Lord? Everywhere. They're all over the place, man. People who need Jesus, they're all over the place. And you're right there. Why do you think you're there, right? There's an interesting story. That story where Jesus meets the woman at the well and has this whole encounter with her and the whole city gets changed. Before that whole city got changed, um, Jesus sent his disciples into the city. They all go to the same city. And they go there to buy bread. And they buy bread and they're like, yes, we bought bread. Jesus is going to be so proud of us. come back with their bread and Jesus gets some water from a lady who ends up going back to the same town and bringing all those people out and they all they're all like oh my gosh we believe because you now we've seen him we know he is the savior of the world and they beg Jesus to stay with them again so um, in a sense you know all that's happening is Jesus is getting water and disciples are getting bread and Jesus used getting water to see a whole city changed and the disciples just scored some bread right (laughs) and so like the way that you and I go to the grocery store like, does it look more like Jesus, or does it look more like the disciples? I got, I got everything on my list. Yes! God is so proud of me, right? Um, okay, or did we go in and say, hey, maybe somebody in this, like, maybe I'm going to bump into someone and the vegetable, I'm just trying to help you see the potential all around you. I mean, that's all that happened. Jesus got some water, but decided, I actually care about this lady more than the water. Why don't we deal with that? Oh, a whole city changes. Like that, just in some intentionality there, you know? Um, Tell, um, tell those around you. Um, this is a great thing to do if you're in a small group, a community group, a life group, whatever. To tell those people around you, like, hey, here's who I'm praying for. Here's who I'm, here's who I'm you know, um, trying to love this year. Here's, here's, here's who I'm hoping we'll just get a conversation with. And, 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 and hold each other accountable and encourage each other, right? Um, just a few more things. We're all different people, so just be yourself. But be yourself on mission. People say to me, like, oh, do I have to be like you? You seem really extroverted. I'm actually not. I mean, church planning made me an introvert, and um, I'm a little awkward one-on-one, but like, I mean, maybe that's you too. You know, you're a bit of an introvert. Well, your personality isn't an excuse for not being on mission, right? Don't let it be your master. Maybe you're going to be the one reaching all the introverts in Cheltenham. That's great. But if like you as an introvert and everyone else introvert just stand there with your hands in your pockets and stare at each other, like nothing's ever going to happen. So you might have to be slightly extroverted. Just push just a little bit, and say hi. Um, just, like, break the ice a bit, you know? Um, watch out for other excuses, too. Like, I mean, I think Alpha is great, but don't let that be the only, like, don't let that be what you put all your eggs in, right? That, that, I think that can be, that can happen. Like, in just every decade's got, like, a thing like that, where we put all our eggs in that basket, you know? Well, what if Alpha stops working? What if Alpha go, went away? Like, would, would Cheltenham just go to hell because that's it, that's our only hope is Alpha? No, if, come on now. Why do you think the Spirit of God's in you? Like, yes. God can use Alpha. That's awesome, man. Take advantage of it. But it's no, it's no excuse for you not actually loving people and being in their lives and being their friends. I mean, you can tell people about Jesus too. You know, you can do that. It's not, it's not impossible. In fact, it happened a long time before the Alpha course even started. And I'm not against it. I'm just saying, watch out that it becomes an excuse. But Jesus, I don't know. Our city. I guess. I guess. I mean, it's just Alpha's fault. I mean, I don't think that's going to go down in heaven, right? Um, Here's a big one. Actually be willing to talk about Jesus. That whole, you know, there's a phrase, um, you know, it gets misquoted, but it's just like, you know, preach the gospel always, use words only when necessary. That is just, that is so stupid. I mean, guys, if Jesus needed words, I'm pretty sure we need some words. I mean, Jesus didn't like just go around doing nice things, and he's like... I mean, he used words everywhere he went, right? So... You got to use words too. I do too, right? And here's the thing I keep having people tell me. It's like, oh, we, we Brits, we're just not, you know, brutish like you Americans. And we just don't like to, you know, we don't, we're, we don't like to make people uncomfortable and blah, blah, blah. I mean, fair enough. We should be a little more polite like you, right? But don't let your nationality be an excuse for this either. I mean, it's so funny. I did something un- that I didn't even realize was rude. I did something very rude in a store on this trip. Um, we were in line. I understand you, you, you Brits love your cues, orderly cues. I've heard. Yeah. Is this a thing, right? Yeah. One tells me they like orderly cues. Don't mess with that. Well, I no one had told me this yet. So we're in a store, and a guy is holding one thing, and um, and I get asked to move over to a lane. He's in another lane, but there's this guy with like a thousand things piled up on his like. He's got carts on carts, right? And I just took the liberty of saying this guy with the one thing should get in front of the guy with nothing. So I I said, hey, come on over here. Like you go first, you know. And I heard of the, like the guys in the back there were doing like this little like making these little noises like I was like I, these guys have like Tourette's. As brave we get, Donnie. Yeah, I mean, essentially what I, what I learned is they were like basically saying, "Let's go outside, man. Let's let's fight right now." Like that was like their version of that. But I just thought they had like some kind of like a something going on, you know? Like pray for them, heal them, whatever, you know? Um, I didn't realize I was being rude. I mean, I just thought I was letting some guy in there. It's just like you've got this very reserved culture. I get it. I'm not trying to change everything. All I'm trying to—I'm not trying to make you American. I'm just saying, watch out. They're like, oh, we just don't talk. Hey, we don't like to talk about that. Come on, somebody's got to talk about it, right? Yes. Just break past that a little bit. Don't be so British, in that way, right? Be British in everything else. I love marmite and tea and the whole bit. So don't, don't worry about it, okay? Um, and um, talk about your own personal need of Jesus. Sometimes the, the subject finally some. Well, why would you go to church though? Like nobody does. Why would you go? I just grew up in church. Who cares? That's not, is that the reason you go to church? Well, that's a dumb reason. We need to get you a new reason, right? Um, well, I just, I, I wanted to clean my own life up. You know, I just, I just saw, I just, I just needed to change. Well, that, that just means that, like, that puts all, you get all the credit for that. That just lands people in pride or despair. You know, the story is, um, I was going to hell. Yeah, I was going to hell. And I needed just mercy and pity, I was hopeless. And Jesus saved me. Like, that's the story, right? Mm-hmm. So tell, tell people the right story. And then lastly, um, and I'll be done, um, you know, really good missionaries are good at identifying the idols in their culture, the things people are worshiping that they shouldn't worship. But really bad missionaries worship those same idols. Yes. We go back and read the Old Testament, like when God's people really messed up, they would show up and they go, oh, look, that's, that's, a, that's a statue of a God that's not really God. Why don't we worship that, right? And that's what bad missionaries do. Good missionaries are like Paul at a place called Mars Hill. It's in Athens. He goes in and he says, hey, look at all these idols around here. You know what the problem is? You guys worship the wrong thing. Bam, he just nails it, right? Yes. And so um, your city, I got a chance to drive around it this morning. Health and education. I get that right? That's the motto. Well, those are probably the idols. So you worshiping those things too? Is that, is that, like, is that where you're finding your hope? Health and education. Health and education. You can't bow down to the same thing that everyone else in the city does. You got to engage people and help them see. Help them see um, what they really should be worshiping. I'll give you an example. Your city, I understand, was built around comfort. Um, it, was, it was literally your city was built, but I understand, around people coming to drink from some rock that had outrageous claims of what the water would do. Yeah. I get that right. Yeah. That sounds familiar. Um, see, because this church that you're part of, and the church that I'm a part of, this church Jesus Church, it's funny. It's, it's actually built around a rock that produces water with some really outrageous claims. That's, that's actually, that's actually that's like actually what we're all about. Actually, funny enough, there's this moment where Jesus in John seven, um, the priest would stand up. It was called the Feast of Booths, and it was, it was they were remembering they were remembering what it was like in the Old Testament and, and when they were on this exodus, this journey, and, and God provided for his people in the, in the wilderness. And, and, the, and the priest at one point would get up and he would pour water out. And what he was doing is he was reminding these like these Jews, hey, do you remember when, like thousands of years ago when God did that, when God poured water, water out of a rock and he satisfied us? And at that very moment, Jesus stands up and he begins to shout. And what does Jesus say? He says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, look, the hope isn't in some rock from thousands of years ago. I'm the rock. I'm the rock. Jesus is this, he's the rock of God. And, and the Bible tells us that, that that rod of judgment that fell upon that rock, God came down, a rock, a, a, that, that rock was struck in the wilderness with the rod of judgment, And God. and water flowed out of the rock, and it, and it satisfied people in the desert. And Jesus comes, and he's the rock. Scripture tells us he's the rock, right? And the rod of judgment strikes him. It wasn't the rock's fault back in the wilderness. It's not Jesus' fault that he gets struck. It was the sin of the people. And what happens? Jesus said, says, you come to me and I'll satisfy you. Right? He says his blood actually satisfies us. Right? That he quenches our thirst. He tells that woman at the well, he says, you know what your problem is? Your problem is you're thirsty. That's why you're with man after man after man after man after man. It's because you're thirsty. And like, you can't, like, I can satisfy you. I can quench your thirst. And so you've got a message that kind of makes sense to your city, right? They've gathered around rocks and comfort and education and knowledge. And actually, they're just worshiping the wrong thing, right? You've got to help them see who it is that they really should worship. So we love you guys. Um, remember, you, same spirit, same authority, rose Jesus from the dead, turned cities upside down. encourage you guys to Turn Shelton upside down with the gospel. We're in your corner. We love you, Howard. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.